We need prayer. We need prayer. We need to be a praying people. We're weak. We're insufficient in and of ourselves. We don't have the strength we need. We, we are a, a dependent people. And we simply must exercise the means that God has given us to call out to Him, to, to have communion with Him through prayer. God has given us a channel, a, a frequency, if you will, by which we can know that we are in contact with the heavenly Creator, the One who sits on His throne, the One who, who reigns in glory. We can talk to Him and we can be assured that He hears us when we call because He has given us the gift of prayer. One of the pillars in our church that hopefully you see every week is that we want to be a church family that is believing firmly in the power of prayer. And the question before us this morning is, is this really true of us? Is this really true of us? Is this true of us individually? Is this true of us collectively as, as, as those who gather as brothers and sisters under the name of Jesus Christ? Are we praying together? Is this true of, of the elders, elders of our church? Are we a praying leadership? Do we know? I mean, I mean, do we really know the power of prayer? And, and I don't use the word know there at, in terms of something that we're just maybe loosely aware of, you know, the way we might know who, who the prime minister of the country is or the way we might know, you know, the, the, the answer to a simple question here or there. No, do we know the power of prayer the way that we know those things in our lives that we're most intimately acquainted with? Is prayer one of those? Prayer, God tells us, is powerful. It's powerful. It counts. Prayer really matters. Prayer really makes a difference in our lives. And so James comes before us this morning with one final question. We've been going through this book and, and we've been asking a series of questions through the writings of, of James. And, and the question before us this morning is this, do you know the power of prayer? Do you know the power of prayer? And in the next six verses that we come to this morning, prayer is mentioned, prayer is championed in every single verse. Prayer is through and through what James wants to communicate as he closes his book, his letter, to the Christians who are scattered abroad. Look with me at chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of God. Last week, we ended our time together talking about the patience that is needed in the Christian life because life can be hard, right? Life can sometimes be very difficult. And so James says we need to endure, we need to be steadfast in patience, waiting for the coming of the Lord. And now he says we must also pray. We must also pray. In verse 13, we see first the powerful prayer of the Christian. The powerful prayer of the Christian. James asks, is anyone among you suffering? And then gives the exhortation, let him pray. This is, this is a command. Let him pray. Is anyone experiencing trouble, he asks. And the word he uses here, this is, this is a very broad word for trouble. It could, it could encompass anything from physical trouble to spiritual trouble, financial trouble, emotional trouble. Regardless of the type of suffering, the antidote remains the same. Let him pray. Let him pray, James says. Suffering is, is common to man. Suffering begins James's letter. We saw it way back in chapter 1 at the beginning, and now we see it here again at the end. Suffering is common to man as, as the sparks fly upward, one of Job's friends said to him. Not everything that Job's friends said to him was, was encouraging or, or even um, rightly applied for that matter, but, but this is certainly true. Trouble comes to a man. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We run into to trials in this life. And James tells us this morning that instead of going to places like worry and despair and anger or maybe denial, instead of saying, I'm, I'm just going to fix this myself, or instead of just putting it out of mind altogether, instead of going to the the experts, the so-called experts, James says, close your eyes, lower your head, get on your knees, and pray. Call out to God. Call out to God. Trouble and suffering needs to drive us to persistent prayer. Because listen, if, if we're not a praying people, if, if we're not praying Christians, we're simply just not going to make it. We will not make it without dependence upon the Lord. Prayer, maybe it would be helpful at this point to just offer a few simple definitions. Prayer is communing with God. Just at its basic foundational truth, prayer is communing with God. It is a personal encounter with the one true and living God. Prayer is, it's been said that prayer is an intimate conversation with God. It is, it is sweet fellowship with our Lord. Also want to 
say about prayer that it is only possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't think we always think about that when we think about prayer, but prayer is only possible because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. See, apart from the work of Jesus Christ, apart from the good news of forgiveness of sins, whereby we can be reconciled to God, what what does God's Word say? But that we were enemies. We were living in the darkness. We were far from God without hope in this world, but through faith in Jesus Christ, in what He has done on the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection, we have reconciliation with God. We have been brought near the Bible says. And because of that, and that only, can we pray to the Lord and know that He hears us when we call. Because we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we come not on our own merit. We, we come not because we deserve a hearing with God. We don't. But we come because we've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And because God in heaven looks at us under the banner of His Son, Jesus Christ. By His grace, we get to pour out our hearts before Him. And He hears us, He cares, and He comforts us. God offers fellowship with Him in the midst of our hurt and our pain. Because these things are are true about prayer, we must not treat prayer as though it is some kind of uh, impractical platitude. I, I've, I've shared my heart in this area with you before. Perhaps you, you were here. Perhaps maybe you weren't. But it saddens me that sometimes we, we think of the exhortation, the, the encouragement, the admonition to prayer as though it's somehow second rate in terms of, of the real answer to help me with my problems. Pr- prayer is the answer. Beloved, prayer is where we need to go. Prayer is where God's Word tells us to go. Is anyone among you suffering? James says, let him pray. This is the biblical response to the trials in our lives. And and certainly, um, other means can be included. But at the top of the list must be prayer. Psalm 62 And verse 8, the psalmist says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. What an amazing, amazing truth. God calls us to fervent, sometimes tear-filled, sometimes loud, sometimes prolonged, always honest, continual, really talk to God about it, prayer. That's the kind of prayer God calls us to. Pour out your heart before Him. Are you pouring out your heart to God? It's easy to just just pray, right? Maybe, hopefully you see what I mean by that. It's easy to just um, casually, if I could use that word, come before God. Maybe, maybe our eyes are closed. Maybe 
all the other distractions are put away, but, but here's the question. Are we really pouring out our hearts before him? The psalmist says elsewhere in Psalm 120, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. That's the promise of God from beginning to end in Scripture that He will answer the prayers of those who fervently call out to Him. I hope this is encouraging to you this morning as we look at James chapter 5 and verse 13 that, that prayer is powerful in our lives. Prayer is, is effectual to help us in our times of trouble. And yet, I am... Not unaware that some of you here this morning are going through some significant trials and, and you might be saying that sounds really hopeful, that seems really nice, but he just doesn't seem to be answering my prayers when I call. And I want to offer some encouragement, if that's you this morning, to perhaps think about prayer in its multifaceted dimensions because um, sometimes what we can do is we can fall into this idea that God is only answering our prayers about our trials when He takes those trials away. That's simply just not the case. There are other things that God might be seeking to accomplish through our prayers and through the trials that He's allowing to continue in our lives. Maybe, maybe God's saying this, I, I want to reveal my divine character in your heart in ways that I otherwise would not have done. Maybe God is saying this, I want to press into you greater and greater degrees of spiritual maturity. I want to secure your attention. I want to heighten your dependence upon me. I want to use you as a means by which to encourage other people. I want to authenticate your faith. Look at 1 Peter. It might be on the same page of, of your Bible. Down in uh, verse 6 of chapter 1, Peter's talking about the great hope that we have in Christ. And in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, and who determines that? But God you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It could be that the, the sufferings that we go through from time to time in this life are being used by God to refine us, to, to get away all the, the dross, so to speak, that remains in our life and to drive us to greater and greater degrees of trust in Him. Maybe God's saying, I want to help you better understand the glories of Christ and His submission in His suffering. And I want to conform you to His image. And lastly, maybe He's saying, I want to accomplish my purposes in you through your trial and through your prayers but I'm not going to tell you how in this life. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. There simply are things in this life that we will not know the answers to this side of heaven. And yet God calls us to continue to pray. This, this command to pray in, in James 5.13 is a present command. That means let him keep on continually praying. That is what we're called to in the midst of our hurts and our, our struggles, our sufferings. And in the context of prayer, we can be sure that if we come before the Lord in faith, that the peace of God, this is what God's Word promises, that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you, guess, did you see that word there? It will do this. It will accomplish its purposes. There is power in prayer. Prayer is not ineffectual. And so we need to be praying, Christians, praying individuals. You might say, I want to pray, I want to pray, but I, I just don't know how. I set out to pray, I set my mind to communicate with God, and yet I just seem so often to fall flat. Maybe an encouragement for you, if this is, is, is you this morning, would be to pray the words of Scripture. Open your Bibles. In fact, if there's a particular um, trouble in your life, Find a place in God's Word that speaks to that trouble. Open up God's Word and just pray the words that are on the page. Pray, speak God's truth back to Him. Maybe you're not in trouble this morning. Maybe you are not in a time of suffering. And, and James uh, keeps you in mind as well. And, and he says in the next half of verse 13, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And certainly, this is another form of prayer, is it not? I love the, the psalms that Mark led us in this morning. These praises are prayers to God. When, when the sea is calm, so to speak, you know, in, in times of trouble, we can run from God, but also in, in times of, of joy and in times of abundance and in times of, of calm in our lives, we can just as easily sometimes forget about God, can't we? And so we're called, if, if this is the case, to also pray to Him. Whether it's in darkness or in sunshine, the bottom line is this, prayer is needed in the Christian life at all times. At all times. Next, look with me at verses 14 and 15. If anyone among you is sick, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here we see the powerful prayer of the elders. The powerful prayer of the elders. I need to just set before you this morning this. Um, verses 14 and 15 are the most challenging verses in James's letter to interpret and understand and rightly apply. 
And in fact, they are among some of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible to discern the author's intent. There are three possible interpretations of what's going on in these verses, each with their varying nuances and each with their own problems. Prayer, to be sure, is the main focus of what's going on here. It's, it's not sickness, it's not the oil, it's not the healing in and of itself, but, but prayer is the focus. Prayer with respect to, and I'll, I'll give you the three different options that are out there in, in biblical Christianity. A, prayer with respect to physical illness that has been caused by specific unrepentant sin. That's one option. B, this could be prayer with respect to extreme physical illness without specificity as to its cause. Or C, this could be talking about prayer in times of extreme spiritual weakness. So it could be physical illness that's been caused by a specific unrepentant sin. Maybe it's physical illness that has no known cause at all, or maybe it is great spiritual weakness. And we want to take a look at each of those here this morning and, and, and break that apart to better understand what's going on here. I like, I like option A. I think there's a lot of good reasons why this could be physical illness that's been caused by a specific unrepentant sin. This, this happens, we know, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he, and he says, some of you are sick and even dying because you're refusing to deal with sin in your life and you're acting like hypocrites in the meeting of the church. So we, we know that this can happen in the Christian life. And yet, I, I don't believe that this is what James is talking about here. For this reason here, um, there's one problem. He says, if he has committed sins. If he has committed sins. And, and I just can't see how, if this was talking about specifically people who have unrepentant sin in their hearts that, that is not being dealt with, and this is the cause of their physical illness, if, if that's what this is about, why he would then give this um, if. Right, This if. And so I don't believe that that's what's going on here. Um, next, maybe it's extreme physical illness or maybe it's extreme spiritual weakness. That leaves us with these two options. And both are um, extremely viable ways to interpret what James is trying to say here. Both of these views are held by Bible teachers that I highly respect and have, have gleaned uh, much from. But, both of these views are held by men that, that we ad admire and, and learn about understanding the Bible from. And, and so we're faced to ask, well, well which, one, which one is it? And, and you're going to ask me, which, which one do you think it is? And, and the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but I have, a long, I have a long answer for you. <laughs> I have a long answer for you. The, the language here, the reason why both of these options are, are so credibly viable is because the language used here is used throughout Scripture to describe both the physical and the spiritual in different places of God's Word. The, uh, the words that are used here for sick, um, the anointing with oil, the, the, the word save, the, the raise him up phrase, 
These are all used in different places in God's word to talk about both extreme spiritual weakness and physical illness. That's why scholars who agree on so many, so many other interpretive issues in the text can't seem to agree on what's going on here. Which one is more probable so far as I can see? Well, after careful study, I have a more difficult time understanding that James here would be talking about physical illness. I could be wrong. I, I want to hold this view with great humility. I could be wrong in this, and, and if that's the case, I, I want to, to see that. I've been praying this week that the Lord would, would move in my heart and in, in my mind in this regard, but, but when, I, when I measure the two, one against the other, I believe that, that it makes more sense of the text that here James is talking about those who are going through grave spiritual weakness. And here's why. Let's look first at, uh, I want to do justice to, to the idea that this could very well be talking about the physical illnesses uh, that come upon us in our lives. And so uh, here are the, the reasons in favor of that view. Uh, most of the words, most of these concepts that we see in this passage, most of the time in Scripture, more often than not, are talking about physical illness. Okay, I, want, I don't want to build a straw man and then just blow it over. Most of the time, most of the time we need to acknowledge that these words are used, it's talking about physical illness. Another argument why it could be uh, physical is, is that James says that those who are, are sick here need to call for the elders, which might just imply that they can't come to the elders themselves. They might not even be able to come to church on Sunday morning because they are so weak physically. The same might be said about uh, these words, pray over. The idea of, of maybe someone's on their sick bed and so the elders are literally praying over top of him or her who is sick. And then finally in favor of the physical view is that uh, when we see oil, anointing with oil being used in the New Testament, particularly in Mark's chapter 6.13 where Jesus sends the disciples out to heal. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan where you might remember he, he rubbed oil and wine on the wounds of, of the man who was on the side of the road. It's talking about physical healing. So there are very good reasons and, and very compelling arguments for why this would be talking about the physically sick. But there's problems with this view. There's problems with this view. The first problem that I see is that physical illness doesn't seem to fit the context of what's going on in James. He's talking much here about unrepentant sin, the need to confess sin. He's talking about, um, in verses 19 and 20, as we'll see at the end this morning, the one who's wandering away from the truth. The, it doesn't seem to fit the context of the entirety of James's letter that has so much to do with the spiritual components of our lives to now here all of a sudden just insert a couple of verses on physical illness. Another problem with seeing this as the interpretation of the text is that the roles and responsibilities of elders in the New Testament is primarily spiritual. Wherever we read of, of what the elders, the leaders in the church are called to do in interacting with those in the church, nowhere else in Scripture do we see any sort of healing ministry, any sort of, of prayers for physical healing. It is always 
for spiritual refreshment, renewal, and building up. Another problem that we see if this is talking about those who are physically ill is that the examples we see in Scripture of Christians who are sick do not follow this prescription. We think of of Timothy and Paul's letter to Timothy. He, He tells Timothy, for the sake of the ailments of your stomach, drink a little bit of wine to help and not just water. It's curious to me that if this is the way that that we were supposed to deal with physical illness, that, that Paul wouldn't say, get the elders around you to pray over you to get rid of what's going on in your stomach. Similarly, Paul had to leave one of his ministry companions, Trophimus, sick. He had to leave him behind, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. He says, I left him behind sick in Miletus. If, if, if this is talking about restoring those who are physically sick, I just don't know why Paul wouldn't have done that himself with Miletus. Same, we could talk about Epaphroditus, who almost died for the sake of the gospel. Another um, reason why I believe this doesn't point to physical restoration is that the very illustration that James chooses to use from the life and ministry of the prophet Elijah isn't the illustration of the time that he laid on top of the lifeless boy and prayed that God would physically heal this young boy. I think if, if we were going to apply, um, appeal to Elijah's life and ministry in the case of physical healing, prayers for physical healing, that would have been the prayer of Elijah to appeal to. Instead, he goes somewhere else. And then finally, a problem that I see with the physical view is that, is, is that of the stated outcome. James says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And there's such a degree of certainty here that, that the outcome is going to be established that, again, I don't see being consistent with the entire teachings of the New Testament. Nowhere do we see guarantees for physical healing in our sicknesses. But we often see times when God says, if you do this, fill in the spiritual blank, then you will experience the spiritual benefit. Well, that's a closer look at maybe some of the more technical things than we would normally do in looking at the the view of of physical illness, let's look now at the view of of why uh, this could be understood as as great spiritual weakness. Here are the favorable uh, reasons in support of this view. Each of these words, I've said this already, that are used here by James are used in other places in the New Testament to talk about spiritual matters. The idea of being raised up is used in many different ways in the New Testament. And we can easily see how it can be taken metaphorically to bring about spiritual restoration. The word sick used in verse 15 is only used in one other place in Scripture. In fact, let's turn there together. Just go back a few pages in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the same word that is used 
by James in verse 15, Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll, um, we'll begin reading in, in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's talking about spiritual things here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sealed at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at, the, look at verse 3. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the same word that James uses for sick in our passage this morning. Another reason why we might see that this here James is intending to talk about great spiritual weakness is that the anointing of oil is used elsewhere in scripture metaphorically to talk about refreshment. In Psalm 133 talking about the the, the joy that we encounter as we gather together as brothers in the Lord is like is like the oil that comes down on Aaron's head and upon his beard. We, we can turn to other places in Scripture where, where the oil is, is used in a symbolic and a figurative sense to talk about spiritual refreshment. To, to, to call for the elders to come pray over one who is spiritually in despair I think works just as, just as well as the one who is physically ill. There is a, a spiritual state that, that in a sense incapacitates ourselves where, where we are, are also not able to, to function in the same way that we normally would. And so, so this lends itself to the calling for the elders to come and to pray over. Um, spiritual weakness, I would contend, better fits the theme of James' letter on the whole. One that is written to Christians to live out their faith in the face of spiritual testing. This view, I believe, better harmonizes with uh, the spiritual oversight that the church elders are called to. I think that the Elijah illustration, one that talks about how there is a dryness and a weariness to the land because there's been no rain, and then when the prayer of Elijah comes in the end, the earth bears its fruit, can very well lend itself to, to the heart of the Christian who's feeling dry, who's, who's feeling empty, who's feeling like they can't continue on, and then who's once again being raised up to bear spiritual fruit. The stated outcome as well, that the one who is sick will be saved and raised up by the Lord, I believe is, is more consistent with the promises that are given in the spiritual realm to those who follow Jesus Christ. So the main problem with this view is that most of the time in Scripture, most of these words are used to talk about physical illness, and yet I just don't feel like that's enough weight compared to all these other reasons why we should in in fact view what James is intending to convey here as cases of extreme spiritual weakness. Now, that is not to say that in cases of extreme physical illness that the elders shouldn't 
pray over those in need. That, that is not what I'm saying by any means. In, in fact, I think that um, that is very much appropriate. It's just not necessarily what this passage is intending to teach. Though there are times when we see one, we also see the other, right? And so maybe, just maybe, these two views aren't quite as opposed to one another as they might seem. So what do we make of, of verses 14 and, and 15? Well, I, I believe it's this, that those in deep distress, fighting for their spiritual lives, are to call for the elders of their church to pray for them with a willingness to repent of any sin that is in fact there. The elders of the church are to be praying men whose leadership, presence, and believing prayers God is pleased to use in a way so as to build up, encourage, bring critically needed spiritual refreshment to those who are in dire need and to help discern whether or not sin is in fact playing a part in what's going on. James says, is anyone among you sick or or we could say weary? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him. Let them intercede on his behalf before the throne of grace. Because prayer is powerful. And because prayer works. And because prayer helps. Let them anoint him with oil. Let them bring refreshment to his dry and weary soul. And the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. What what does that mean? It, It doesn't mean what the faith Healers you might see on TV claims it means that if you just have enough faith, God will heal your physical sickness. That is not the case in biblical Christianity. I think James is just talking about what he, again, began the beginning of the letter with. Back in chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask, what? In faith, without Doubting. Without doubting. I think that's what he's saying here. Call the elders to come and to plead with God. With believing prayers. Sometimes in great spiritual weariness, we, we might start to doubt, right? We, we can't pray on our own because we, we, we're having such a hard time trusting in the promises of God. And so the elders come and do that on behalf of the weary. Taking upon on their backs, those saints who need prayer at such a critical time. By His grace and for His glory, God uses the resolute pleading of God by the spiritual shepherds in the church to restore the brokenhearted sheep. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you're going through such spiritual difficulties that that no one else seems to be able to understand. I encourage you to call upon your church elders to pray for you. Um, More than likely, as I thought about this, more than likely, if this is someone in our church family, they're actually not here this morning. Because they couldn't come. If you, if you know those people, if you're talking with those people, encourage them to call for the elders of the church to come and pray for them. And maybe 
Maybe just maybe this isn't you today, but maybe one day this is going to be you. And maybe God will be pleased to bring this truth from this morning to your mind. And, and would you one day, one day would you call upon the elders of your church to come and to pray for you? Let's turn our attention now uh, to verse 16. Therefore, James says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Here we see the, the powerful prayer of the church. The powerful prayer of the church. James says, therefore, and he's, so he's linking what he's saying now to what he's previously just said. And, and on the heels of, of this condition, if there have been sins committed that need to be repented of and forgiven... He says, in light of that, let me, let me just address everyone here in, in a very uh, general, practical way. Pray for one another and confess your sin to one another. Why? Because sin in our lives has a capacity to bring about utter ruin and, and we need each other's prayers to help avoid those pitfalls. This is what we might call preventative medicine. The prayers of the church gathering together with one another for mutual confession and calling out to the Lord is a way of treating spiritual sickness that might arise if left unattended. As the body of Christ, we're called together to practice repentance and to intercede on one another's behalf before the throne of grace because prayer is powerful. To confess is to call sin what it is. It's to acknowledge before God primarily before God, but, but here we see also before others that, that there has been sin in our life. There, there has been a time when we have missed the mark or, or maybe a pattern developing where we are not following on the path of God and we need to bring this before one another and lift each other up and encourage and admonish and exhort one another through prayer. How much to confess and to whom to confess these different sins too, is, is not stated here by James. It's, it's left unspecified. And it takes great wisdom to know the answers to those questions. But we must, we must confess sin to one another. Certainly, we must confess to those whom we've outwardly sinned against. Let me ask you this. When is the last time in your life, just, just think right now, can you remember the last time in your life you asked somebody to forgive you? Hopefully, it's relatively recent. But if it's not, may God's Word come to bear on your heart this morning that this needs to be a continual practice within the church. Husbands, when's the last time you ask your wives to forgive you? Wives, when's the last time you asked your husbands to forgive you? Friends, when is the last time you asked your friend, your brother and sister in the church to forgive you? When's the last time you ask your, your fellow small group member to forgive you? Is this happening? Is, is what James calls us to? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another happening in our lives? Because if it is, if it is, then it says we may be healed. And again, this word that is translated here, healed, is used elsewhere in our New Testament to talk about spiritual restoration. If true confession and fervent prayer on behalf of one another 
with respect to fighting sin are present among us, then the spiritual health of the community, James says, will be ensured. Prayer is powerful. Is it that powerful, you ask? Listen, God is pleased to use us. He's pleased to use the supplications of fellow believers to accomplish much for His glory and for each of our good. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working, James says. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. What an encouragement for our souls this morning. The righteous one, God hears, God answers, God restores their prayers. Isn't this motivation in our lives to make sure that we are practicing righteousness? I mean, we, we so desperately want our prayers to be heard, don't we? Well, here James gives us very clear motivation that godliness, that, that righteous living is a requirement. We, we can't be afraid to use that word. God calls us, if we want our prayers to be heard by Him, to, to, to forsake sin and to be living in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We can't do this on our own. We have to do this by the power of His Spirit that lives within us. I mean, I want my prayers for you, for each of you to be effectual, to have power. And that's a motivation for me then to examine the righteousness of my own life. You say, really, can, can these prayers really count for, for that much? Can they really be that powerful? My, my lowly prayers, and, and we're told by, by one writer that prayer is a powerful weapon in the hands of the humblest believer. James illustrates this for us by calling our attention to the prophet Elijah. He says that, that Elijah is a natural man just like us. See, in, in, in the Jewish mind, Elijah was some kind of superhero of the faith. I mean, we're talking chariots of fire, whirlwinds, uh, going from one place to another without understanding how he got there. The mighty leader of the prophets slaying the prophets of Baal. And yet, James says he was a man just like us, and his prayers counted for much, and so too can ours. Being a righteous man, Elijah prayed audacious prayers, and yet he swayed the hand of God. He swayed the hand of the divine provider. And we too can see much accomplished in our lives and in the lives of other, others through the power that is available to us through prayer. hope that encourages you toward prayer this morning. This, in, in one way, brings us to a close of, of the book of James and the final question that he asks us, do you know the power of prayer? Do you know the power of prayer in your life? Is prayer a reality? Is, is prayer something that you're holding on to and will never let go because you know what God can accomplish through communicating with Him. And then he ends his epistle with these two verses, 19 and 20. Let's, let's look to those now just briefly as we close. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth 
and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In just these two short verses, I think James does many things for us. He, he brings to a close really the theme of his entire letter. He, he says, this is the reason that I'm, I'm even writing to you, brothers, to do this very thing, to bring you back if you're wandering, so that you can examine your life and, and look at the true marks of, of spiritual faith in regards to how you use your tongue and where you get your wisdom and, and whether or not you're, you're a doer of the Word and not just a hearer and, and whether or not um, your faith is substantiated by the way you live your life. He says, I'm writing to you in case you're wandering from the truth because I want to bring you back. And then he tells us, go and do the same. Go and do the same with the people in your church. James wants us to go after those who are living in sin, who are, who are turning their back on the way this, this wandering here, it's not just, you know, sometimes we think of wandering like it was accidental, right? Like an inadvertent, oh, I, di- I didn't realize. That's not what's going on here. Because, because where this path leads, James says, is to death. This is serious and grave sin, and yet we can have an effect on other people's lives by going after them and bringing them back the way James does in his letter. Narrow is the way. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so James writes to us to to warn each other and to warn those who who were at one time numbered among us but have have seemed to, to go out from us, to come back to the narrow path, to come back to the light of Jesus Christ. He is the way. Amen? And he doesn't tell us Again, he doesn't tell us how to do this. And yet, we can't overlook this fact that prayer must have much to do with it. So I, th- I think not only is this a fitting conclusion to the entire letter of James, but I think it's a fitting conclusion to this section we've been looking at on prayer because there is absolutely no way. It, it, it might take more than this. God, God often will use more than prayer, but He's never going to use less than prayer to bring back a sinner from his wandering. And so we need to be a praying church for these people as well. As we close, I was just thinking about James, you know, pen to paper, Finishing these five chapters, right? Maybe he's folding up the parchment. Maybe he's putting it in the envelope. I don't know if they use envelopes, but maybe he's getting ready to put it in the mailbox. Do you think, do you not think that James would not have been praying fervently over this letter as he sends it out? God, use these words to have an effect on the hearts of your people. I believe James must have been an incredible man of faith. And so, we too are called to place our faith in Him and exercise our faith in Jesus Christ through believing firmly in the power of prayer.